Good morning. Everybody doing good? Well, it's good to be in church with you guys today. My name is Pastor Derek, if you don't know who I am, and it's just uh, exciting to be in the house of the Lord. We had a great worship experience so far, and I always love doing communion and, and just connecting with God even more. I got a quick announcement, and we're going to get going in our, in our series, our continuation of graffiti. Uh, hopefully, you got one of these little doohickeys. That's what I like to call it, a doohickey in your bulletin uh, on your way in. I want to explain that to you. Um, we have, uh, starting on October 18th, the same day that we launched our third service, whoop, whoop, um, we uh, are launching a new series. It's entitled Remix, Let God Rewrite Your Song. There's actually a psalm, in, which is basically another word for song. Psalm 40, verse 3, it says, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God, Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Sometimes a new song draws people to God and can help them put their trust in the Lord. Can I have an amen? amen. Let me tell you what the series is about. Remix is kind of uh, um, it's similar to what we've done in the past. For those of you who call this your church home, you're a, a family member, a spiritual family member, or a frequent flyer, how many have been a part of the At The Movies series? The At The Movies series, you've seen that? Okay, so basically, just for those of you who are catching up, we took modern movies and kind of, uh, or another way you could say that is modern parables, modern stories, and we pulled from those movies uh, principles from God's word, and we taught kind of a, a culturally relevant message from the scriptures. So we just simply leveraged what was happening in culture instead of hiding what is happening in culture in the church. So the church shouldn't hide from culture, it should simply leverage culture. And so similar to what we did with those movies, which was highly impactful, reached a lot of people for Jesus and connected a lot of people to God, godly people in a godly place. Come on, somebody. Uh, we're going to do the same thing with music, and so we're going to take some of the modern songs that many of us listen to. There, there'll be there'll be a, a choice and and cautious and, and and careful the selections, but um, we're going to take some of those modern music that we listen to. We're going to bring them into church, and I'm going to pull a line or two or even a, a story from the song. And I'm going to teach a story from God's word that's going to reach a lot of people. And let me just say, when it kicks off, you're not going to want to miss the kickoff on October 18th. So this is a great way to invite people to church. Um, and so this is a tool to help you. This one card doesn't mean it's the only card that you can use. If you want more cards, they're available in Guest Central. But it represents one. God wants us to reach the one that's in your life. That might be somebody you know in your neighborhood, a coworker, a family member, or somebody just frankly nearby is what a neighbor means. Just reach out to them, invest in a relationship with them, and invite them to church. And a great day to do that would be October 18th. Can I have an amen? So make sure you get some of those. You know what's going on. That's what that's about. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue our series, and hopefully my, my iPad is going to cooperate with me at some point. You know when your iPad just won't do what it's supposed to do? What is going on with this thing? I don't understand. <laughs> anyway, there we go. Um, so... Um, we're going to continue the series. We've been in this series called Graffiti. How many have been here for most of the series? All right. If you haven't, I just want to urge you to get online. It's a very uh, discipleship-oriented series. It's going to help you in your spiritual journey. That's really what it's about, kind of a builder for your faith. We talked about a bunch of different stuff, but today I'm going to talk about my identity. Everybody say identity. identity. You ready? Yes. Get your worship guides out. Get your Bibles out. You ready to go? Take a lot of notes. Note takers are... History makers, all right. So 
When I was a, uh, back in the day, when I was a school principal, can you imagine that? Me, a school principal. It's scary, right? Kids loved me. They couldn't wait to come to my office. Um, parents used to say, what qualifies you to be a principal? And I used to say, because I spent a lot of time here. You getting that? All right. So anyway, but when I was a school principal years ago, I would occasionally I would get a message from a teacher intermittently, needed to talk to me about something. Usually it was related to a student. And the teacher either saw or observed something. And let's just say it was out of the norm. It disturbed them. And they needed to kind of go to the upline, so to speak. And they were, they were often in their classroom giving the students a creative project. Let's say it, was, it could have been a creative writing project, but for the sake of this illustration, it might have been a creative-like project where they were drawing or coloring something in kindergarten, for example, and the parameters were, were loose. Um, draw a picture for your mama Mother's Day. Draw a picture of your family. Draw a picture of someone or something important that happened in your life or something like that. And... Um, every now and then, what would happen, and then what would happen in several instances that I can recall, um, what would surface from the child's soul that would be expressed in this, you know, artistic expression, let's just say, uh, would leave the teacher feeling disturbed, and then when I saw it, it would be very, very similar. And, and graffiti is sometimes like that. Not everything you see out on the train cars or on the walls you know, uh, scratched on the walls in, 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 in hallways and in and, and, and alleys is uh, inviting. Sometimes it's aberrant. Sometimes it's negative. Sometimes it can be uh, disturbing even. And sometimes we see these images and we wonder why or how that would come out of a person. I know in a classroom, sometimes they would, they would draw something and I would I, I would ask them, what does this mean, you know, and, and what is this all about? And once you got talking to them, it only confirmed your suspicions, your observations as well. In other words, um, you begin to find out there was a broken home. You maybe found out there was a divorce. Uh, maybe you found out or potentially wondered if there was an abusive background or some, sometimes a, a bondage of some, some sort, some spiritual issue, sometimes a sexual impropriety of some sort. And you would say, you know, what could cause something like this to come out of the soul of a child so soon, so horrific, so, so sensitive? And we all know it was a result of something that happened to them. And that's not going to be the emphasis of what I would talk to you about today. But it was more, uh, the, the greater concern was how it made them feel or how it made them behave. And, and it, it often, you know, would, uh, would, would help you understand why the child was behaving the way they were, relationally, socially, academically. Sometimes it's just kind of like, ah, there it is. It's something that's going on inside that's disturbing them on the outside. Is everybody tracking with me? And I submit to you that they had, in a, in a simple kind of definition, an identity issue. Uh, to take away from this, this particular example, the big idea kind of is, not the big idea, but an idea is that to get the kind of big picture right on the outside, we have to get the little picture on the inside right. The child in me has to be healed and fixed and, and healthy and, and for God to come out on the outside. In this series, we've looked at different aspects of expression. We talked about our design, how God created us with certain gifts, and we talked about our purpose and how God wants us to make our unique mark on the world, and we know that to be true, but I want to show you how the devil strategically works to stop, to 
impede, to thwart the plan of God in your life by attacking you not from the outside, but from within. Your identity, your identity. There was a story that I was studying just very recently in the last couple of days. It's an old story, but it got a lot of press and a lot of uh, newsworthy attention. And there was a man in Georgia who was actually found behind a Burger King, and he had been kind of cast aside. He was beaten. He was tortured. He he was... uh, Uh, naked, he was without any clothing, identification whatsoever, and he became conscious, and when the people got around him, uh, and eventually when he got to the hospital, it was confirmed that he had total amnesia. Not partial amnesia, I'm talking total amnesia. He didn't know who he was, he didn't know where he was, he didn't know who he was connected to, he could recall nothing about himself, and he had no identification to prove who he was. The FBI began to fingerprint him, do DNA DNA testing, they found nothing. It got so much attention because this went on for, get this, 11 years. Dr. Phil did a TV show on him nationally and nobody claimed to know him. Dr. Phil even found a um, private investigator, hired a private investigator to research who this particular gentleman was and figure out what was going on. It was a heroic effort, but they found nothing. The nurse who'd been attending to him took him into her home, and for eight years, she tried to nurse his memories back and discover who he was to no avail. Eventually, just for those of you who are wondering, at 11 years, they did figure it out. But imagine if that was you. Imagine if you left here today Something terrible happened or whatever, and you woke up and you couldn't recall who you were. You had no identification. You had nothing but the skin on your bones, and you didn't know who you were. You didn't know who you were connected to. Imagine if that went on for 11 years. What if you were found in another place and friends and family were nowhere to be found? Your, your identity was utterly erased in a moment. That's what happened to this man. And the reason I bring up this example is because that's exactly what Satan is trying to do to you and me with our true identity. It's precisely what he's trying to do. He's actually not trying to stop it. He's trying to erase it, literally erase it. And you may not realize, but there's actually a spiritual war going on right now for your identity, for your identity. And, And this is a little doctrine for you, but Satan cannot create anything. He has no creative capabilities. He was created by the creator. Uh, But Satan can distort, he can pervert, and he can destroy things. And so that's what he tries to do. And Satan cannot actually hurt God, but what he'll try to do is the same thing that somebody would try to do if they were trying to hurt me. Rather than try to hurt me, good luck, uh, you try to hurt my wife, or try to, good luck on that one too, but try to hurt my wife or hurt my children, because the best way to hurt me is to hurt that which I love, and that's what Satan tries to do. The best way that he can hurt God is to hurt you, is to hurt his kids, to hurt his kids, and if he can, and if he can do that, then he can hide and distort and even destroy what God intended for you to be, then he succeeded actually in hurting God. So how does Satan do this? How does he keep us from knowing our true self, our true identity? How does he destroy? Uh, how, does he, how does he distort or pervert us? Here's, look in your notes. The first thing is through the opinion of others, through the opinion of others. Now, sometimes we think it's always going to come through an enemy that uh, our, our, our true identity would be distorted. But sometimes it can even come through your friends, through your peers, even through your parents. 
In other words, sometimes people are trying to make you be what they want you to be instead of what God has called you to be. They're trying to mold you into their image, and we'll flesh that out a little bit more as we go forward. They're trying to make you something other than what you were created to be. Another thing that can distort, pervert, or destroy is painful experiences and past hurts. This is a big one for the enemy, but he'll use your hurts. He'll use the pain to, to deceive you. That's where distortion comes in, through deception. The worst deception of all is self-deception, self-deception. And so he tries to get you to live in anger and live in shame and live in guilt and victimization and resentment and bitterness. And all these things hide the real you because you're focused on you and not who God called you to be and what he says about you. Another way that he can do it, the enemy can do it, is through culture and media. And this is more prevalent with the next generation, but it's really all generations. It's just getting worse. But basically, we are constantly, generationally bombarded with these messages telling you that you need to, you need to be like someone else, someone's sickness. You need to go somewhere else, destination disease. You need to look like someone else, behave like someone else, talk like someone else, dress, etc., etc., like someone else. Why don't you be more like them? Instead of being the unique you that God created you to be, and you be happy in, in and with your uniqueness. Amen. That's what the world's trying to do and culture's trying to get you to do. Another one as we amplify this is that, that can really distort our true identity is evil thoughts. Evil thoughts. Now, you might not feel like this sometimes, but you have a will. Your will sits on uh, the seat of your emotions and your feelings. Your will is a muscle that can get stronger or weaker depending on who it's submitted to or who it follows. If you follow you, it's going to be follow the enemy. If you follow your appetites, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, pride, it's going to be harder to control your emotions and your feelings. But if it's submitted to God, then your will will get stronger and stronger and stronger, and you'll be able to, you'll be able to control your thoughts. You have the ability to control your thoughts. But people suggest thoughts to you all the time. Satan suggests thoughts to you all the time. God suggests thoughts to you all the time. I heard it said that when God suggests a thought to you, it's called inspiration. When the devil suggests a thought to you, it's called temptation. When you, su- when, when, when you suggest a thought to you, it's called stupidity. <laughs> All right, because sometimes the enemy will try to tell you things that are not true. You don't matter. You need to earn acceptance. You're not talented. Someone's better than you, than, than you are at that. That sin you committed can't be forgiven. It can never be overlooked. You should be ashamed of yourself. These are the kind of things that hide our identity, thought, life, issues, the battle in the mind. And the only thing that's worse than the previous four things I just mentioned is the next one, is repeating what he told you. The number one way that the enemy can mask, hide, destroy, distort, pervert your identity is to try to get you to repeat what he told you that wasn't true. Oh, this is good. Most of the destruction of our identity comes from ultimately just a seed that he planted in your mind, and you you let it germinate. You let it take root. Every, every bondage in your life, every stronghold, every, every stronghold in your life is built on a lie that's bad for you. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, a lot of times the reason there's problems is because you accepted what someone else said about you that was not true, and you repeated it over and over and over again. And ultimately, it's expressed in words like, that's just the way I am. People that say things like, that's just the way I am, are rarely saying something good about themselves. They're repeating something bad and saying, this is my character. This is my identity. You heard it, and you believed it. With all that going against us, how do I know the real me? So the Bible has uh, a counterpunch for all of this, and, and two words that are used in the... It, I did this, two words. It's two words. <laughs> I catch myself. I wasn't good at math. Two words in the, in the New Testament. I rebuked that in Jesus' name. I was excellent at math. That is not my identity. See that? So in the New Testament... Two words that are used is the, are the words in Christ. Everybody say in Christ. It's actually used 140 times in the New Testament. 35 times it refers to your identity. So I'm going to give you 35 points on identity. Are you ready? Write these down. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to give you five points on your true identity, okay? And, and let me just say this. If you... To set this up, if you were to travel a lot, let's say you were a, a, a significant um, athlete or you were a, a politician or you were, you know, somebody who travels a lot globally, a lot of times they would encourage you to get what's called a global access ID. A global access ID is basically saying you're pretty VIP, but you had a screen selection process that you went through to determine that it was safe for you to travel anywhere and everywhere and you were who you said you were. So unlike most people who are traveling, you didn't just have one fingerprint, you had five fingerprints. You had a kind of a next level identification to prove you are who you say you are. If Derek's face is here, then it matches up what's going on right here in his true identity. Does that make sense? So I'm going to give you five fingerprints to tell you who you are in Christ Jesus according to his word, to say you, this is who you are in Christ. Because here's the big idea. Your identity isn't what. It's not in a what, but in a who. Your identity is not in a what, but it's in a who. But who you are is determined by what he said and what he did for you already, not what you say or what somebody else says or what somebody else did or what you do. Amen. And so 1 Peter chapter 2 has these five identity markers right in the verses 9 and 10. It says this, and I'm going to kind of highlight the words, and then I'm going to give you some modern English for it. It says, but you are a chosen people. There's key right there. A royal priesthood. There's another one. A holy nation. Another one. God's special possession. A fourth one. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now, here's the last one, you have received mercy. So here's five fingerprints. The first one is, I am completely accepted. I am completely accepted. This is your ID in Christ. You're all getting a new ID today in Jesus' name. Some of your deepest wounds that have come in your life were because you were rejected. You were given the Heisman by somebody. You were not accepted by somebody else. You were like the old song. I used to watch Saturday Night Live, forgive me, but looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love. No. Sorry, I won't do that. All right. 
But many times we base, let's just say, how well we're doing on something uh, that, that, that we did instead of what God said about us. And the desire to be accepted affects every aspect of our lives. Sometimes the clothes we wear, you know, is so that we'll be accepted. The car that you drive, some people buy cars to be accepted by their peers in the workplace. Some people buy a house early or prematurely, overextend themselves, put a financial noose around their neck to keep up with the Joneses. Some people take a job that they don't even love just so they don't have to suffer the rejection of their parents. Acceptance is powerful. We are acceptance magnets, and if we don't get it the right way, we go looking for it in all the wrong places. Everybody, everybody um, knows, you know, how this happens in certain areas of our life. I was just trying to make a little humor out of this. I was thinking back about how I used to dress. I looked at some of my old school pictures, and I just couldn't put them on the screen. I was too embarrassed. But I was, I was looking back to the 70s, and so I just want to look at how people dressed in the 70s. Now you, isn't that sweet? I mean, these people are bringing it righteous. You know what I'm saying? Why would anybody do that? You know, because of acceptance, because of acceptance. Think about the things you did growing up for acceptance, jumping off a roof. One time I jumped off a roof because a girl told me to. I thought she liked me, you know what I'm saying? But that was how she was going to break up with me, apparently, you know what I mean? Break a leg, oh, you know what I mean? I thought maybe that would happen, but I know people, I won't mention any names, running down a boardwalk naked, you know, drinking and smoking things they said they'd never do, all for what? Acceptance. And, and, and we know the phrase, you know, if, if your friend told you to jump off a bridge, would you? Some of you would be like, yes, I would, I did, I jumped off a roof, all right? But because, why would we do that? Because the pain of not being chosen is so great. That's why. I remember when I was back in school, back in that segment of time, and, 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 and you know, you get to those games out on the playground, and, and you have that choosing time. You know, the shame before the game moment. You know what I mean? I'll take him. I mean, why do we do that anyway? You know what I mean? Why can't we just call captains and break up? You know, but no, we got to go, I'll take him, I'll take him. And there's always... Someone who's just like waiting and last to be chosen. It's horrible. We, nobody likes to not be chosen or last for the game. But being chosen, it feels good, doesn't it? Being chosen feels really good. And the good news is, in Christ, you don't have to chase after it. You don't have to be in some shame game waiting for it. You have been chosen by God according to his word. You are accepted according to his word in 1 Peter chapter 2. The Bible says this in the Living Bible. You have been chosen by God himself. I'll take him. I'll take her. I want them on my team. This is your fingerprint in Christ Jesus. And how can we be convinced? Because sometimes you're saying, I hear that, but how do I be convinced of that? Let me give you something else. Because God chose you before everything. The word says that he chose you before everything. In Ephesians 1.4, it says, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In other words, before the oceans and the stars and the moon were hung in the sky, he chose you. He wanted you. You are his greatest creation. The other reason that you can know is because Jesus makes you acceptable. Titus 3.7 says Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. He made us acceptable to God and gave us the hope of eternal life. So you can't earn it. 
You can't deserve it. It's a gift. It's a gift. I used to ask my daughters when they were young. I would say, I'd whisper in the air, how did you get so beautiful? And they'd say, Daddy, God made me that way. Because we, we, we put it into them that identity is in what God says, not just in what earthly father or somebody else says. Number two, I am extremely valuable. Everybody say valuable. This is even better than acceptance. It's not just you've been accepted, but you are extremely valuable. First Peter 2.9 says you are a holy, come back to that word, nation, a people belonging to God. Holy isn't like boring. That's what most people think holy is. Holy sacraments, holy sepulchre, holy, you know, um, you know uh, I can't think, of artifacts. They're, they're basically things that are, that are priceless. Holy means value. Priceless. You can't put a price tag on something that's holy, and God is saying, that's how I see you. You're holy. You're incredibly valuable. Well, what makes it valuable? Who owns it? Who owns it? Now, I happen to like basketball. I used to be pretty good at it, had some skills, could dribble the basketball pretty good, shooting not so good, but anyway, looked good. That's why they call me SI Fry, Sports Illustrated. So when I go to the hoop, it, it looked good. But anyway, when I would play basketball, I'd have all kinds of shoes. I love shoes. If I took my shoes and I put them on eBay, seeing anybody want to buy them, not many people are going to want to buy my shoes. But if I put Michael Jordan's shoes up there, everybody's going to want to buy those shoes, right? Who owns it determines its value. So your value is determined by do you belong to God or not? If you belong to God, you are incredibly, incredibly valued, extremely valuable. Deuteronomy 7, 6 says, you are a people holy to the Lord, your God, his treasured possession. He doesn't see you and say, what was I thinking when I made Derek? You know what I mean? He didn't like have a couple too many drinks or, you know, stay up late, red-eyed and go, oh, you know, now I got to figure out what to do with him. He didn't think that. We're his treasured possession according to his word. Isaiah 43, 4 says, you are precious to me. My dad used to call my sister. Her nickname was Precious. Precious. And you know what? She had a very healthy identity because that was spoken over. God speaks that over you. You're precious to him. Another reason I feel valuable is because God is my father. Everybody say, God's my father. So when he's your father, you're an heir of everything he has. Now, you might want to write this down. This is going to help you. This is a really good doctrinal statement. But everybody is created by God, but not everybody is a child of God. Everybody's created by God, but not everybody is a child of God. In other words, we must choose to be in his family. Some people have chosen not to be in the family of God. You have to choose. He didn't say, we're not all automatons, get up every day, bow down and worship him three times a day or 40 minutes or two hours or five hours. No, he, you have to choose to be in his family. But when we choose to see God as our father, as our dad, then he takes care of the rest. My kids don't show up at the, the breakfast table and wonder if there's going to be food there or the lights are going to be on or the heat's going to be on or there's going to be a roof over the head because they know their father, their mother, just taking care of that. That's what it's like to be in the family of God. There's a security. There's, you, you, you know that you're valuable because of that. And if God would do that with the birds of the air, how much more would he do it with you? That's what it says in Luke chapter 12. It says, you know, the birds don't have a place, you know, to rest their head, but they don't worry. They don't worry about food and all those kind of things. The only thing that's on Christ, if, if, if birds would be on God's welfare list, then how much more would we be taken care of by God? He says we're far more valuable in Luke chapter 12 than the birds of the air. All the birds do is eat and poop 
and he still takes care of them, but you're way more valuable. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're way more valuable than a bird. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Here's another thing that shows me I'm valuable. Jesus gave his life for me. Jesus gave his life for me. God did not send his son into the world to die for junk. You were bought with a price on Calvary, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You're worth more than that to him. You're worth so much to him. Some of you are homeowners. You know what you value. I mean, if I asked you how much is your home worth, you probably have a value in your mind. But I can tell you how much your home is worth. Not as much as you think it is. Because the worth of something is not determined by what you think it's about. It's by how much somebody would pay for it. And God the Father sent his son into the world to pay for you. He gave his first and only son, his only begotten son, according to John 3.16. And he gave his life for you. That determines your worth. You're valuable because of his son. Amen? Number three, I am eternally loved. First, Timothy, First Peter 2.10 says, once you were not a people, but now, everybody say, but now, you have become the people of God. In other words, once you didn't have an identity, but now when you're part of the family, you have an identity in Christ. Some people are ashamed of their family. Some people, you know, you've got that, everybody has one, the crazy uncle, you know what I mean? The crazy second cousin. Don't look around, anybody. Don't look around. Don't look around. Okay. But God is never going to be ashamed of you when you're part of his family, period. Hebrews 2.11 says, Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call you his sisters and his brothers. When you get to heaven one day, he's going to call you brother, sister. Hey, bro. Hey, sis. It's like, Jesus is going to do that? Yeah, that's what it's like. It's that familial when you're in heaven. But Jeremiah 31.3 says, I love this. It says, I've loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. You might want to underline or circle that word, everlasting, with an unfailing love. Another one, I have drawn you to myself. These two words are so important because it helps us understand how God loves. God doesn't love like you and I love. God loves in two ways. He loves us unconditional, and he loves us in an unending or constant way unconditional. In other words, God doesn't love, we love like, I love you if you do X, Y, or Z. I love you because you did this for me. God loves, God's love is not like that. God's love is, I love you, period. I love you in spite of you. I love you. That's how God is. His love is completely unconditional. Recently, um, it wasn't too long ago, I was watching The Passion of Christ, and, and I've probably watched it four times now. And the reason I do that is much like the reason that we celebrate communion. I want to remember, and I just think it's a modern gift to our, our culture, our, the 21st century, that we'd even have something so vivid depicting what Jesus did for me. And I was watching a segment of the movie that's the most impactful to me, and it's the scourging of Jesus Christ when he endured the 39 lashes upon his back. And, and I remember watching that. I'm down in the den, and I'm, and I'm crying for the fourth time. And, I'm, and, I'm, and I remember saying to God, why? Why did you do that for me? And it was right in those moments that I heard him say, because I love you unconditionally. I'm thinking, because when I was asking him that, I'm like, why would you do that for me? When, in my mind, I'm thinking, because I've done all this. I don't deserve this. I, 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 can't, I can't pay you back. And he's like, exactly, exactly. And when you receive that unconditional 
grace and favor and mercy and love. You accept that. You don't deserve it, but you accept it. It motivates you to live an overcoming life, to change and be a different person, to be a new creature in Christ Jesus. Your identity is altered because you received that unconditional love, not because you earned it or deserved it by condition. Can I have an amen? Your right behavior is a byproduct of right standing with God that he made possible through imputed righteousness, not through your righteousness. Amen? Oh, my gosh. How am I going to get through this message today? So... So I, I write notes sometimes. I remember when I was a kid, I used to write notes. And, and, and you know, you'd, you'd write the note to your girlfriend when you were like five years old, 10 years old, whatever. You know, I love you if you love me. Check the box. <laughs> you know, that's not love. Even what we do to our spouses, for those of us who are married or have a significant other, I love you because you're so beautiful. That's not love either. That might be appreciation all the way from that to lust, but that's not love. If we love like that, we're not understanding love. If we love just because someone's beautiful, can I tell you something? For many of us, our midnight hour on our beauty has come. <laughs> I'm not the hunk of love that I once was, okay? Neither are you. I'm still sexy, but anyway. But... All right. God's love is unending. Everybody say unending, eternal, constant. He's not fickle. He's not moody. You know, some of us grew up with a parent when we didn't know who we're getting today. You know, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, will they poke you, stroke you? You know, will they build you up, tear you down? Will they hug you, slug you? What kind of a person are we going to get today? And that created in you an unstable identity, a chaotic identity. But God's love is constant. It's unending. It's unfailing. And you can't do more or less. You need to hear this to make him love you more. Nothing you can do to make him love, make him love you more. Because what? God is love. It's his character. 1 John 4, 8 says he is love. He doesn't have it. He is it. The fact that you can love, that there's love in the universe is because of God. Amen. Psalms 105 says God's love is eternal and his faithfulness lasts forever. Number four. I'm totally forgiven. Everybody say, I'm forgiven. It says, at one time, 1 Peter 2.10, you did not know God's mercy, but now you've received his mercy. I love this because when I look back at my life and I think, this, this, just imagine this. God, I'll say it this way. God knows the worst thing you've ever done or ever will do. And in Christ, comma, in advance, he is determined to show you mercy and forgiveness anyway. Whew. Like if you can connect with that, it's huge. He's not surprised by your sin. He's not shocked by what you've done. He doesn't tweet, you know, um, I'm so surprised by people's behavior. You know, hashtag shock and awe. No, that's not God. <laughs> it's not going to happen. He's never surprised by that. And God is not keeping a record of our wrongs and tracking our sin. No, he erases our sin. He erases it. He removes it, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. He throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. And instead, we have a hard time receiving that because we have a hard time giving that. And sometimes we don't know what it's like to receive that kind of forgiveness for ourselves. Some of you are like, oh, that's not me. I'm easy. I, I forgive really, really easily. I would say to you, maybe not so much. Like you might hold on to some of those things and you put them in a special box and you kind of, it's like a file thing. When I need this later, you know, it's like the aha, gotcha box, you know, and you go a long, 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 long time. But then as soon as somebody comes out with something against you, aha, what about this? 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? We, 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 we sort of reserve judgment for a later date. God is not like that. Can I have an amen? God is not trying to get back at us. He's not like, you know, because of that thing that we have, that theology, that identity issue we have, when we sin, we make a mistake or something bad happens to us, we think, oh, that's because of that sin. Uh, you, you, something goes wrong, oh, that's because of that sin. And you carry that around with you all the time. You run into a traffic jam and, you, and, and you're stuck in traffic. You're going to be late for work. Oh, it's because of that sin. <sighs> you order taco at Taco Bell and it doesn't have meat in it. You're like, oh, it's because of that sin. The guy next to you is a vegetarian. He has meat in it. And he's like, oh, it's because of that sin. You know, that's what happens. And so he, he's not punishing you for what you've done. The punishment was put on Jesus once and for all. It was put on him. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. And by his stripes, we were and are healed. The punishment is no more for us. He might chasten us, yes, because he loves us. And he redirects us, but he's never punishing us. Punishment is not of God. It's of the devil. That's why Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. How do I know that? He told me so. He told me so. So you're accepted, lovable, valuable, forgivable, and last, you are capable. You are fully capable. 1 Peter 2.9 says, you are a royal priest, chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God. Now, for some of you who come from different backgrounds, mainline denominations, Catholic backgrounds, let me tell you something. The Bible says, not Pastor Derek says, the Bible says you are a priest. I'm not talking about white-collar you know, change your voice when you pray, kind of speaking King James, some kind of British accent. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the biblical understanding of what a priest is. A priest is someone who represents the needs of man to God and God's, God's word back to man. That's what it is in a nutshell. God is saying in this text, 1 Peter, you are capable. You are capable. This is why we believe you don't have to confess your sins to a priest because you are one. This is why we believe you don't have to go to a priest to get forgiveness because you are one. Everybody say, I am one. We can go boldly before his throne of grace according to the word of God and find help in our time of need. Why? Because you are a priest in Christ Jesus. So you say, how many priests do you have in this church? Hundreds. Hundreds of priests are in this church. Every member is a minister. Every task is important. And everybody's a 10 in some areas. Another way of saying, you are capable. You are capable in Christ Jesus. You are fully capable of connecting people to, to, to God directly and God to them directly. What does a priest do? Look in your notes. Acts 26, 18. It says this. I love, love, love this verse. It says, you are to open their eyes. That's your job. You're to open the eyes of your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, the ones nearby, the ones in your sphere of influence. You are capable of doing that. You turn them from darkness to the light and from the power of Satan to God so that through their faith in me, they will have their sins forgiven and receive the place among God's chosen people. That's the role of the priest. That's what we're supposed to help them find their true identity in Christ Jesus, to help them feel accepted, to help them feel loved, valued, forgiven, and also capable in Christ. And this is not the role of just a professional Christian. This is the role of all the priesthood of believers, all the Christians, because you are capable in Christ. See, sometimes I don't feel that way. You know what I would say to you? Feelings lie. Feelings lie to us sometimes. Who are you going to believe? God, or are you going to believe you? It's true. You, it's true in one sense. You can't do it on your own. But that's why in Christ, not in Derek, 
Not in Pastor Christoph, not in Pastor... No, in Christ we are capable. Look at this in your notes, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5, it says, There is nothing in us that allows us to claim that we are capable of doing this work. What work? The work of a priest. This, the capacity we have comes from who? It comes from who? God. It is he who made us capable of serving the new covenant. One translation says competent, which consists not of a written law, but of the spirit. The written law brings death, but the spirit brings life. Can I have an amen? You are capable. You are forgiven. You are valued. You are accepted by God. You are eternally loved by God. Your identity in Christ is not in a what, it's in a who. Will you stand to your feet and let me pray for you? Did you get something out of that this morning? I hope so. I hope so. Praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord a big hand clap. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, we just be very still for just a couple of minutes as we connect the dots between me and you, but you, more importantly, with God. Would you close your eyes and just honor the person to your right or to your left? Just be very still. We're going to be out of here in just a minute. Vanessa's going to come and bring some closing remarks to you just to wind up the service today. But it's really important that you have an opportunity to connect with God himself about your identity in Christ Jesus. I venture to say that at some level, all of us have been operating with a fake ID. Listen, you are not, be very still, just listen to my voice. You are not who your parents say you are. You are not who your husband says you are. You are not who your mother said you were. You are not who your friends say you were, quotes, friends. You are not what that coach said you were. You are not even who you tell yourself you are. That's a fake ID. But you need to get back to the true identity that's only in Christ. And some of you have had a true ID that has been stolen from you. If you had your ID stolen, they would give you certain advice. They would tell you what to do. They would say, you need to detect. You need to realize it's been stolen. You can't do anything about it until you realize it's been stolen. Do you realize? Some of you, your identity has been stolen. They tell you to alert anyone who can help minimize the damage. You need to take that to God. You need to go to God and say, whatever that thing is that stole it from you, maybe it was something serious, that rape stole it from you. That molestation stole it from you. That loss of a job stole it from you. That sickness stole your health. Those unkind words stole your identity. That peer pressure, that boyfriend, Satan himself stole it with seeds, evil seed thoughts in your mind. Take it to God. They tell you to close any accounts that compromise who you are. Shut down those areas that are not real, that are phony, that are fake, and be yourself. Stop hiding behind any phony accounts. Stop pretending to be something that you're not and be real before a holy God and before his people. And they would, take, they would tell you to take control of what you can take control of and change what you can. You can change your thoughts. You can take control of your mind. The Bible says you've been given the mind of Christ You'll keep him or her in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on thee. God has given you the mind of Christ. And lastly, they would tell you to defend your identity. 
Realize that it can be stolen again and remind the devil that he's a liar. If there's somebody that we can tell to go to hell, it's the devil. We can tell the devil to go to hell because that's where hell was created for. Not for us. It was created for the angels, the fallen angels, and the devil himself. And you might need to tell the devil today, go to hell. Get out of my life. You leave me alone. I will not listen to you. I will not respond to your words anymore. I will not give them audience anymore. I take captive every thought that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. I arrest every thought that is not in agreement with his word and I dismiss it in Jesus name. In Christ in Christ is where my identity is found and it will not be found in anything or anyone else in the name of Jesus. And if you're here today and you know something happened when I was talking about the fact that you might be the child of God but you might not be, excuse me, created by God but not the child of God. You want to know you're in the family of God today and you're not certain you're in the family of God? Do you want to know that today? Because if that's you and you're not 100% sure of that, you can have that today. If you're listening online, you can have that today. It's important that you just tell somebody about it. And a sign and a seal that you want to come into relationship with God, you just raise your hand and say yes. If that's you, would you just say yes? I want to know that today. I don't want to leave today without that certainty. God bless you. Yes, yes. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Is there anybody else? Good and high. I don't want to miss anybody. God bless you. Yes, yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Yes, Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, all the way at the back. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Yes, yes, thank you. Church, would you pray this prayer with me? Every single one. And those of you listening online, you pray this prayer as well. Say, Jesus, I don't want to operate with a fake ID anymore. I want my identity to be found in Christ. I accept what you say about me. I put my trust in you. It's, it's in whom I have believed and am now persuaded that he is able to do above and beyond all that I could ask or even imagine in Christ Jesus. I surrender my life to you today. I pray that my identity would be grounded and founded on the word of God and what he says about me. I thank you, God, that I am accepted, that I am valuable, that I am loved that I am eternally loved, that I am forgiven, that I am capable in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's celebrate what God has done. Come on, tell God.